Welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan, and we are here live in Phuket, Thailand. Well, we're not actually live. It is uh, Tuesday, but we're going to try to re- release this on uh, Thursday. Today, we have an excellent guest. This is Steph Howell coming from the UK. She's got an amazing story. It's And for anyone watching this podcast today, it's more... It's going to be about the fear of flying and leaving your home country and coming to this exotic land and exotic island of Phuket, Thailand, and how she overcame that and how she got here, what she's doing here, and what's next. Um, Steph is working for Ink Ink. It's a brand new tattoo parlor. I guess we could call it that. Tattoo parlor studio. Tattoo studio. I think studio sounds a bit better. (laughs) Tattoo studio located in Patong. And we're going to go through her journey, again, without the hippy-dippy bullshit, and how she got to where she is to day um don't forget to like subscribe smash the bell notification i always forget to say this i think we're almost monetized and after that we're probably gonna go through the roof a couple million followers not a big deal all right so without further ado let's get this started okay hey steph thanks for joining us sorry that's my that intro i think i'm getting a bit better at it i love it i I usually i forget something at some point like i'll forget like telling people people to subscribe or who the the, the guest is but yep. um okay so um if anyone has watched the podcast before and as we explain as we were speaking about before downstairs um the idea is to tell your journey and uh, what brought you to phuket specifically so let's start off way back in the uk which city are you from um the life and the journey of steph howell and and where she was growing up Okay, so I'm originally from a town called Northamptonshire, which is directly in the middle of the UK. So to go to any sort of beach, it's quite far. Um, so it's a little bit miserable. I mean, I, I do love the place because it's where I grew up, but it's generally grey buildings, grey weather, um, cold, raining, um, and when you grow up there, you kind of think that's what life is. It's small town? or um, It's relatively small, yeah. I think we... The good thing about my old town is you can get on a direct train to London in about an hour. So we actually had quite an influx of people from London um, living in my town, which was cool because it meant that we had like a bit of diversity and and met some new people. But it is quite small, really. And what's the major industry there? People, are they, were they commuting to London for work or are they? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then... Also, a lot of people just um, living there. It's very sort of suburban, family place. So what's population-wise? Oh, my gosh. I wouldn't no. even be able to tell I you. I mean, for me, uh, I guess I'm, I'm suburbs as well out of Canada, mm-hmm. but I think the population was like 30,000. I guess we started out it was a small town, and then it grew. I think it ended up getting up to like 60, 70, but um that that suburban small, you know, sm- it's, would you consider where you're from? Is it small town or it's not village? No, small town. Small, small town. town, yeah. So that, is that that the typical public school, you know, childhood where you know, um, I, w- I went to public school, so you know, you kind of you went through the the school of hard knocks, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to an all girls school, oh, which okay. um, my parents at the time thought would be a better choice. And actually, girls can be mean; they can be really mean. And um, school was, I think, quite tough actually. Um, but I I got through it. And, um, yeah, I, I had quite a normal childhood. My parents are amazing. I've got a really, really nice family. They're really, really supportive. Um, so apart from finding school a little bit tough, I didn't have a bad childhood at all. Yeah, we, so we were talking about downstairs, and I thought 
that this kind of brought, uh, I guess, the theme of this podcast together today. Um, specifically, like your fears of flying, your fears of traveling, and uh, you're talking about you were working as like a manager at a restaurant, but you as we were, we were discussing it, I was assuming that you probably had those high hopes of leaving the UK and, uh, and traveling the world or, or specifically even coming to Thailand. Can you just tell us that story of when did this idea of leaving the UK all come together and what did you do to get here? Okay, so it's not something I actually mentioned to a lot of people, but um, ever since I was young, I've had like an anxiety disorder. So things that are quite easy for a lot of people. I find very, very difficult. Um, even just being here today, very, very nervous about it. All night, I couldn't sleep, you know, and it's just um, trying to get through those fears. And when it came to flying, when I was young, it's very strange. I had no issue with it, really. Um, and it's when I got a bit older, and I think I lost uh, one of my grandparents, and I realized, you know, bad things do happen. It's not this fairy tale world, things are scary. And those fears just snowballed and exacerbated and I was avoiding them. So if something scared me, I would then not want to do it completely, which made it just worse and worse. And when it came to flying, um, I watched the movie Castaway where there's that Tom horrific, Hanks, yeah. yeah, the horrific um, flying scene. And something just clicked in my brain and I thought, I don't think I can ever do that ever again. So for many years, I just avoided it. And but I, you you were flying like up up to this point like yeah multiple flights I mean because unlike in Can so for example in Canada we don't fly a lot just mm -hmm. because um, it's really expensive to fly in Canada and to go to the U S well we weren't we kind of had that that uh, uh, I don't it's not hatred we just we didn't get along like and and it would be quite expensive so our only options were Mexico but. I know a lot of friends coming from the UK, you guys can fly yeah. quite often. You would go to like Marbella or, or different uh, places yeah. in Spain. So your, your whole, let's say childhood, no issues with flying at all up until this point. No, which is strange because I definitely had like the, the anxious tendencies when I was young, but it wasn't around flying. I think maybe because I would go on holiday with my parents, they were, um, they've always been like my backbone and they, they make me feel safe. So I guess maybe because I was going with them, that's why I didn't have those fears. But it was as soon as I um, was old enough to move out of home and work full time, and then those holiday costs were on me, I stopped going. And it was those few years of not getting on a plane. Um, and then, yeah, I think something about that movie, I really felt like I was in that movie. And... I yeah the fear started from there it's so weird I can't really explain it it's quite irrational it is irrational I know it, it probably just snowballed and built up Absolutely. and up over the years how long did that take from uh, well Castaway that's got to be early 2000s if not around that time I think I was a bit older when I actually watched it so I was probably I know this is a bit weird because it was an amazing movie I yeah. should have watched it but I was about 17 18 when I watched it and oh. that's when the fear started and from that point and, and when that fear started until the time you actually flew, how many years are we talking? Ooh, so it was probably about five years. Um, I then went on a very small flight. My, my parents moved to France. So I got on this small flight. At this point, they were trying to find homes in France. So they said to me, would you like to come with me and, and have a look? And I said, oh, I'm not sure about flying. And they said, well, you haven't done it for so long. I'm sure it's just it's an irrational thing. When you get on that plane, you'll be fine. And they were just trying to fill me with sort of, um, you know, bravery. And I got on that plane and 
I was honestly terrified. And it, I don't even know how to describe how scared I was, even to the point where I was holding on to the sides of the chair and I didn't want to even move the slightest bit because I felt like it could move the plane and cause some sort of issue. I don't know why I thought I was that special to have such control over this thing. But I think that is a lot of the fear. It's lack of control. So if something does happen, there was nothing I could do. There's, I, can't, I can't get away from the situation. Because when, when those anxious thoughts start, the first thing you want to do is run away. And you can't on a plane. So um, I was absolutely terrified till the moment we landed and I didn't enjoy that entire trip because I was just so scared of the flight home. Mm. And I think when I then got home after that, that was when I was like, I can't do this. I, can't, I, I will never be able to do that again. Um, so I'm 31 now. So it was fast forward another few years of um, not flying. My best friend moved to the island of Koh Tao in Thailand and I was seeing on her social media these amazing photographs she was a scuba diving instructor like you know just living the dream and it was that point where I thought I I need to see this I need to see this place before I die you know I'm not going to be stuck in this country in this gray dreary town I just felt like I was destined for more than that and I know that probably sounds quite big-headed but you know, I don't have any disrespect to anyone who stays in their hometown and they enjoy and they go down the, the family and the child and the mortgage route. But I just felt like that was not for me. And I was almost acting like somebody I wasn't meant to be this, this scared person confined to this town. Um, there was just something missing. So uh, that's where we get onto the fear of flying course and things like that. And the steps that I took to, to actually get here. How did you go about, um, let's say, taking that initial step to even reach out to find a fear of flying course? Because I'm assuming they're far uh, mm. and few in, in, in between yeah. to be able to even find in the UK. So that's got to be another shout out to my parents. Um, I they, they are so supportive, honestly. They, anything that I say I want to do. They also didn't want me to just be sitting in this town working um, a normal job. At the time um, when this was all happening, I just had a nine-to-five office job. I was working for a chartered surveying company. And I was like sort of the admin who'd have to call people and book in the, in the diaries. Um, they could just see how unhappy I was. So my mum, she's the queen of research. She could find anything. And she said to me, I've, I've found this um, fear of flying course with Virgin Atlantic Airways. And it was in, in Birmingham. And she said, I really, it's a lot of money, but I will help you. Um, I will lend you the money and pay me back whenever you want. But we want you to go on this course, her and my dad. So um, even the course itself is terrifying when you know it's all about something that scares you. Uh, and at this point, my fears had uh, snowballed even further too. I couldn't get in, um, in a lift either. Um, I, don't, I think you might call it something different. Elevator. elevator, yeah. Yep. No, I got you. Couldn't get in an elevator. Uh, there was an instance where I went for a night in a hotel with some friends and they'd booked a really high room. I'm like, great, I've got to go up you know, 15 flights of stairs every time. And I would just to avoid mm. going in, in that elevator. So she, she told me about this course and it was that moment there, I think, when I just had to be like, if I do this and I spend all this money, it's got to be worth something. I've got to do it 100%. So I said to her, yeah, book it. Tell me when it is and I'll be there. And um, I cannot recommend this course enough for anyone who has a fear of flying. I mean, it doesn't work for everybody. 
but it really it saved my life it gave me the freedom that i have what were some of the like the steps they took so day one you show up at the course i mean are they tossing you in an airplane and saying <laughs> all right you know for day one we're going skydiving you know it is a crash course it's just one day that's oh, really? it yeah oh, okay. in one day they cured my fear of flying this is why i just think they're so amazing mm. um so you all meet up there was probably about a hundred of us terrified people in uh it's like a hotel the hilton hotel actually it was very nice and um it was just a full day of you would have um, a person on each table. You'd have circular tables and one person had been cured of their fear. So they were there to sort of say, hey, listen, I've been where you are. It's, it's treatable. And then we had uh, talks from pilots, from air hostesses, from people who uh, like engineers, people who made the plane. And it's basically about that knowledge is power right so they just feed you with knowledge like if one engine goes down we've got this 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 and this to back us up you know we can coast for this long without engines you know to find somewhere to land and it's it was all just saying the chances of anything happening to that plane really is so small but when you are that person that has the fear you think yes but i will be that one person so but knowing all of these things that will stop the possibility of it happening, I guess, it really, really helped. And you do that for maybe six hours of like talks and chats and you, you even play games and stuff and you get to know each other. It was really good. And then they say to you, if you want, you can do a flight at the end of this day, but only if you feel comfortable. And most people did out of about a hundred of us, I think maybe five or six said they couldn't do it. So this flight is from Birmingham airport round in a circle, back down to Birmingham Airport, about one hour. What is this? Well, is it just like a, a puddle jumper or like what are they putting you in? Like? Um, it was like a, I mean, I don't know. In the UK, we have these Ryanair flights, oh, so like very cheap. Like a 50 seater, 100 yes. seater. Something yeah. Like that. Yeah. It wasn't like tiny. I think yeah. that would have scared me as well. Yeah, propeller. They're like, all right, now you just got to spin this. Yeah, one. absolutely not. I don't think I'd have done that. It was like a normal, normal-ish plane. Not a big one though. Um, and we went up. And as it started, as we, as we got onto the plane, it started to rain. And I was just like, do you know, we'd been fed all day about how every single one on, every single person on that plane would be willing it to be up in the air and be safe. And I kind of liked that whole community of, yeah, like we're going to be okay. So I actually felt quite relaxed. There were a lot of people that were really scared and that made me feel better in a way because I felt well, I'm not like them. So maybe I don't have this as bad as I thought. Um, anyway, we're, we're flying and the pilot is over the tannoy the whole time explaining everything. So he'll say, right now, I'm, uh, you know, that noise, that is the, the wheels coming up and this is what's happening and I'm banking the plane. And it was really interesting just to hear everything that's going on because that's another part of the fear. You hear a noise, oh my gosh, what's that? Is that something coming off the wing? And just knowing what those noises are now... Um, it, it takes so much of the anxiety away. But uh, one of the funny things, I mean, it's not funny for the people, but we actually were in a storm. So you couldn't have predicted this. We got hit by lightning, the, oh, the plane, and it sort of went, we had a, like a flash. And he said over the tannoy, just so you all know, we have just been hit by lightning, but look, nothing happened. Everyone's fine. But then some, you know, some people were really panicking and we had a few people faint and the ending wasn't too great. But I actually felt like if I could get through that, I could get through anything. So I feel like that benefited me having such bad weather on this flight. And we landed and it was like a, a moment where I thought, that's it now. The world is my oyster. 
and they they send you off with DVDs and things to to watch before you have a flight and they say that you should never wait longer than one year before you fly somewhere um, and they also suggested that you do a few smaller flights before you do something like long haul or anything like that so then uh, the next year was just getting on uh, smaller flights around Europe I went to Amsterdam and to France and just you know making sure that 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 really was something that I'm not going to be scared of anymore and it wasn't. It was like it just floated away with that day. How was that that first flight? Um, let's say if you flew to Amsterdam. I mean, was there still that fear there, or were you kind of did you already overcome it, or did you have to kind of still conquer something? There will always be something there. So it's not like even today when I get on a plane, it's not like I just think, oh, you know, no worries. There is that um, sort of butterfly feeling the night before, and rather than. For me, it's more of a change when I'm on that plane. So I used to feel a little bit nervous and I would get on the plane and it would be pure, I would just, I was purely terrified. I couldn't explain it any other way. But now it's a little bit anxious. Like, and the way they described it as well was maybe change your thought process with um, saying anxious, changing it to excitement. So tell yourself, this is not an anxious feeling. This is an excitement. I'm going somewhere new. I'm going to meet new people. I'm going to have a great time in the place that I'm at or going to. So now I just tell myself, like, yeah, I'm excited. I'm not nervous. So it's just changing because everyone can have anxiety, whether it's um, fear or, or excitement. It, it depends on how, what's your perspective of, of that anxiety? Is it, you know, uh, the fear because you're, you're maybe if it's university and you're taking a test and the fear of the test, or is it, and that's the anxiety, or is that anxiety the excitement because you're going on a trip? And, and that's how they kind of had you mold and manipulate that anxiety for the mm -hmm. positive. Yeah. Um, to, to back it up though, from, as you said, you were getting on the lift and, and there is the, the fear that something could go wrong there. So again, it kind of sounds like it's more of a, a fear of lack of control. Yes. Right. So d is that, can does that continue to carry over into, let's say in Phuket? Cause let's say if you're driving a motorbike, you still have a certain level of control and there are certain things you cannot control, such as a, uh, some lunatic cutting in front of you on a motorbike. Do you, do you, these fears, do you have any of these that come over into Thailand? Because um, there are a lot of people that when they first come to Thailand, one of their biggest fears is, I can't drive a motorbike, I can't get in traffic, I can't drive around. And, and uh, is that something you've had to deal with? Definitely. I never drove a car in the UK. Um, I never really needed to. I know it sounds silly. I've always worked and lived relatively close to each other. And I just felt like the test specifically when it came to driving I would have been too nervous to pass it. Whether or not I felt like I had the skills to pass it, um, I just felt like I would have freaked out on the day. So I never did it. So I came to Phuket um, and that's when I thought, well, I, I've got this far. I've, I've done everything I've done. I have to be able to drive around this island, right? I can't just rely on taxis. They're so expensive here in yeah. comparison. So um, Shout out to the uh, taxi mafia. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> maybe that if if there's any sponsors out there, I'm taking Taxi Mafia. Hit me up. We'll take that sponsor. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so it was just something that I had to do. So I, I rented a little bike, and I didn't tell her that I'd never driven before. And I asked a friend to help me. Um, and do you know, actually, I don't. There's no anxiety with it so much because. I do feel in control. Yes, I know bad things can happen and they do happen a bit in Phuket, but I still feel like I have control over that bike. So I guess I don't have so much, no, no nerves really. 
towards that. I did I did for a long while when I was still kind of nervous. I, I started riding a bike and then I started working in Patong, which is very, very busy. And it was a bit like, oh, my goodness, I've been dropped right in the deep end here. But I think it was good because if I can drive and learn to drive in Patong, I can drive anywhere now, anywhere in Phuket. Yeah, that's um, when I first moved to Asia into Taiwan, like I didn't ride. It took me about a month to get on a bike, um, starting slowly on the back of friends bikes. Mm -hmm. But I was in a city in Taiwan. So it was about, I don't know, population. There's a million people there. But yeah, it, it was it, it's a bit scary, especially in an Asian country, because it's a different way of driving as well, where you, you shouldn't you shouldn't. For me personally, I never turn my head left or right. It's like kind of glance at the mirrors and focus peripheral vision straight. Yeah, because the second you turn your head, that's when someone can come in Absolutely. front of you. Um, so there was a little bit of fear on, on that side. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll come and jump back to Bouquet. And again, for this podcast, it's for listeners out there. We want to piece together that story of, of you taking the leap and leaving your hometown and coming to Phuket. Can you tell us that part of the story where you've you've conquered your fear of getting on the flight uh, on a plane? What was next for you? I'm going to assume it wasn't, okay, perfect, I'm moving to Phuket. So can you uh, piece that part of the story together and bring us right up to the point that brought you here? Okay, so once I'd, um, I'd conquered that fear, it was like, great, now what? I'm going to book a flight to my, my friend who lives in Koh Tao. I've, I've got to see what this place is all about, you know. Is she editing those photos or is it really that beautiful? So I, I booked that flight, um, which from the UK, it's, it's two flights. You have to go to Dubai first. Um, and I think it's the taking off and landing that are the bits that are the hardest. So it's two of those. And then I had to get a flight from... Um, Bangkok to Samui so it's like three back-to-back -back flights but I did it and I was fine I went to visit her and it was Songkran the day I got there so you know you know the craziness yeah. of, of um, that and I fell in love with the country I was here I was in um I, I did Koh Tao, Koh Samui and Koh Panyang sorry if I've pronounced any of those well, what year is this 2016 17 yes this would have been 2016 um and while I was there I thought, while you're sitting here in this country right now, have a look around, think about your next steps to move here or to do something here at least for a while. Um, I didn't want to just get home and get back into that old routine of life and then suddenly find that it was too hard. It was like, I'm sitting here now, I can see this country, I'm, I'm in it and I can definitely come back here easily. I just need to think of a plan of how to do that. And uh, at the time in the UK, I did a lot of work for um, animal charities. So I had this foster dog that um, she was so with foster dogs. Obviously, you just take them until they find a new home. And she was really struggling to find a home because she had these like aggressive tendencies to strangers. So it was a bit dangerous to just give her to anyone. It had to be someone with um, a lot of experience. So that was my first thing. It was like, right, when I get home, I'd had this dog for three years and it, and. I needed to find her a home because I wasn't going anywhere without her being okay. So as soon as I landed back in the UK, it was like, right, that's what I need to do. I managed to find her this wonderful home with a family that um, they really understood her problems and had dealt with that before with an animal. So that was the first part done. And then it was, okay, I need to make sure that I have enough money to support myself um, because I don't know when I'll next get an income. So I was working every hour I possibly could at this restaurant that I, I was um, managing. And um, 
at the same time, I was trying to sell my stuff because the way I thought of it is if I'm going to do it, I'm really going to do it. So I'm going to sell everything that I own. I don't want anything tying me back here. No safety net. No safety yeah. net. No, I thought if I, I have this tattoo actually on my arm that says leap and the net will appear. Mm. So it's very much like I try, even though I didn't always think that I tried to at least do that. Just go for it and it will be okay. And if it's not okay, you can deal with that at the time. So yeah, I made sure I had no safety net. I made sure I had no reason to come back. Um, I'm trying to work. And then I'd get a message and say, hey, I want to buy your dining table. And I'd have to like run back home, sell that, come back to work. And um, before I left for Thailand to, to actually be here for a while, I was like just sleeping on the floor. I wouldn't even use my heating because I was trying to save money. So I was like freezing cold on the floor, no furniture, nothing in there. And I thought I was nothing but excited about it. I just loved it. The fact that all this meant I was getting closer and closer to this to this dream of not living in the UK anymore. And then I booked that flight and I told my employer, I don't know when I'm coming back. If you have a job for me, if I come back, great. If not, don't expect me to come back. Um, and I, I booked my one-way ticket to Thailand. And um, it was by far the most terrifying thing I've ever done. But if I can do it, with all of the fears and, and the things that I had in my way, then anyone can do it, honestly. And it's it's so worth it because you can so easily get surrounded by this little bubble of your, your life that you've grown up with and you can't see past it. And as soon as you took me out of that bubble, now I look back and think, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I thought that was kind of the best that life could get. And although I love the people back home, I've got good friends there and stuff. It wasn't for me. What, uh, was there a lot of support from your friends and family or was there mixed support? Meaning some people like you're crazy and other people saying go for it. Or was it all love? I was very lucky. It was mostly all love. Uh, I might've had one or two people say, Oh, you know, that that's a bit, what are you going to do if you get there and, and you can't find work? And it was like, well, come home. You know, I'll always make sure I save enough money to have a flight home. Uh, I am lucky to have those wonderful parents that would always have put me up if I came back until I got back on my feet. It was sort of like, what have I got to lose at this point? Um, as I said earlier, I, I didn't have kids. I wasn't married. There was there was no reason other than my, my parents, which I do feel bad being away from, as I'm sure most people do if they have parents around. But they were saying to me, don't just spend your life here in this town. Like, go and do something awesome. And even my teachers at school would say to me, there's something about you, Steph. You know, you're destined for, I'm hoping great things, but also sort of unusual things. Like, you're not meant to do the same as everybody else. And I felt like that too. Like, I'm not meant to sit in an office. I'm not that sort of person. So... Yeah, it was all love. It was all support. Um, I had a few friends that were quite jealous about it um, because they had constraints that meant they couldn't do the same thing. But I'd say to them, well, hey, now you've got a free place to stay if you want to come on a holiday, right? So, Yeah, and what if your friend was not in Kotal? Like, again, like you didn't have that connection to Thailand. Um, was that desire still... I don't want to say eating you alive, but like essentially pushing you to go to, to go do greater things. Was it, was it just a question of leaving the UK and living in any other country or um, did it have to be Thailand or could it have been, you know, South America, Mexico, you know, or the Caribbean, let's say. That's a good question. I think I would have 
been happy to travel anywhere and do something new. But there was something about Thailand, not just because of my friend, but when I was young, I was a huge Leo DiCaprio fan. Huge. Oh, did you see the poster downstairs? I didn't. You've got a poster of him? Yeah, you'll see later. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's I'm on sorry. the wall. That's another story, though. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Right, okay. Um, yeah, I, I just loved him to bits, and um, I watched the beach, and I became obsessed with Thailand. Honestly, I remember saying to my mom, I had those, like, uh, Thomas Cook magazines that had, like, the holidays in. Mom, can we go to Thailand? Can we go to... And she'd say, that's not really a holiday that's... You know, that's a big deal. It's expensive from England. It's not just flying over to Spain or something. And she'd say, when you're older, if you want to go, you go. But I'm, I can't take you there. And um, it was always in the back of my mind. And then I'd see it in movies or things. And I'd just think, wow. Something about the fact that it is beautiful and tropical, but also the people are so nice. And you do also have, especially in Phuket, some Western things from home if, you, if you're missing them. Um, yeah, I think I was always meant to be in Thailand. There's still that connection there. For sure, yeah. Um, did you have any uh, initial fears when you, were gonna, when you were first coming here besides the fear of flying, whether it was, hey, am I going to be able to make friends? Am I going to find a job? Um, am I going to be able to get by on the food? Um, and again, even transportation. And these are, I think, uh, collective fears that most people do share when they're initially... Uh, leaving their home country or were you comfortable with that not at all so um i have generalized anxiety disorder which means that it's there's a lot of things that i find i get anxiety from for no reason and you wouldn't always tell i hide most of it people close to me i would say oh i'm really worried about this and they have to knock some sense into me but i don't generally tell anyone um so i do believe a lot in fake it till you make it and I, I got here and I was scared of everything. I was scared that, yeah, people wouldn't like me. I wouldn't have any friends. I wouldn't um, find what it was I was looking for. And then I would end up back to square one in England feeling like a failure. Um, I was scared of all of it, quite honestly. But I do feel that just like with the flying, you have to do the things that scare you. Because if you don't, they'll just get worse and worse. So... I started off my trip in Bangkok and I stayed in hostels. And anyone that tell you know, people said to me, oh, you'll meet so many new people in a hostel. And I thought, yeah, but as if I'm the one person they don't want to talk to or they don't like. Um, but of course, I got there. Everyone was great. And straight away, people said, oh, hey, we're going to go to this mall. Do you want to come see it with us? Yes, I'd love to. And almost instantly, a lot of that fear was taken away. But every time I moved on to somewhere new, it all comes back again. And then you realize, no, it's okay. It's all right. Uh, so I did Bangkok, Chiang Mai, uh, Pai, and then Phuket. And was this, um, if you could share the story of what was your plan for the first week or first month? Was it purely, I'm going to enjoy myself, I'm going to travel? Or at which point were you, were you starting to think about, okay, I need to find employment because I want to stay here? So it was meant to be quite a few months of fun um, because I had worked, I had not had many days off for a long time beforehand just trying to save for this trip. So I at least wanted maybe one or two months of not working, kind of not putting pressure on myself to find work, just exploring Thailand, meeting new people and doing the stuff that I wanted to do. Um, so at this point, working wasn't even even something that I was considering um, and I was only traveling for maybe three weeks. So I did, when I went to Phuket, I'd only been in Thailand three weeks. And it was meant to be um, 
doing all of it. I wanted to just go all the way around. But the reason I came to Phuket was um, I'd heard about Soy Dog Foundation and I'd contacted them and they'd actually said, we are desperate for volunteers. So if you could come now, that'd be great. And I had an open schedule, no sort of plans. I'd left it totally open. So I thought, great, I'll go to Phuket and I will um, volunteer for them. And I was only meant to stay a week and I realized that at this point it was, I think, um, it was very quiet and I can't remember why, but they didn't have many volunteers. So they sort of really nicely asked, is there any chance you could stay longer? Because if you leave, the dogs you've been walking might not get walked for, for a while. So I stayed longer and um, within a couple of weeks of being there, this opportunity just fell on my lap of, hey, we're looking for someone in the fundraising team. Would you like to apply? And I was like, part of me was thinking, this isn't what was supposed to happen. I was supposed to have this break and, and I don't necessarily want to work. I've just come here to to explore. Um, and it was nine to five, Monday to Friday. So I'm like, have I just left England to come and do the same thing somewhere else? But little did I know, it's very, very different. Even if it is nine to five, just being in Thailand and surrounded by the energy here. Yeah, um, I mean, you're living this same. tropical climate I mean, it, the weather's amazing. The people are mm. amazing. The food, the ocean. And I mean, you're driving around on the motorbike, especially out at Soy Dog, this area. I mean, you could pull over the side of the road. There's people selling pineapple and coconuts. I mean, it's a little bit different than the UK. In that I know. Sense. I don't know why I thought it was going to be straight back to the old way. But uh, no, it wasn't at all. And I, I went head to head with like four other people and I, I got the job, which is great. Mm hmm. And um, don't worry, that's me adjusting me. I up. wasn't sure if you were telling I'm, me to adjust. I, I'm always. Oh, don't worry, I'll tell you. Okay, I, I'm okay. always playing around with it. I, I'm, I get really fidgety here. Do you know, I do too, but I'm just sort of doing stuff yeah. from my knees I, here. I, I usually start playing with this microphone, but and then it makes this funny sound. But anyways, <laughs> um, so oh yeah, because well, we had John on the podcast, and uh, I, yes. I'm, I know Owen. Hopefully, he sees a shout out, Owen. Hey, Owen. Oh wait, what, I, I forget what you told me. He, he <laughs> said about me. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, I heard that, Owen. Come back here. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I uh, know I've known Owen, I've known Owen, Owen for a couple of years now, and then he's gone off to Australia now. But um, so back to that. Then you 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 get the you land this job at Soy Dog, and you you're telling me that you're doing marketing and marketing management essentially. So I started off in fundraising. Okay. Um, it was just to answer the Facebook messages and sort of um help out when they needed content writers for the for the Facebook, um, because you need to. You get a story of a dog and you need to be very good with words to make that story sound emotive. They're always true stories, but you've got to obviously have a way yeah. to make it sound as horrific as it was. Um, so I started out doing that. And then one of the girls who was responsible for the Instagram, she left. So they asked me to take over that as well. And they sort of said, do what you want with it. So I started doing um, live videos around the shelter, started doing stories, which they weren't doing before. So we'd get like an emergency case in and I'd run in with the phone and start recording and people could actually see live what was happening. Um, so it did really well for the fundraising. And then they eventually, as they grew while I was there, they formed an actual marketing team and asked me to be the, the manager of that team. So that was great. And um, I really, really enjoyed it. And then I started doing like live broadcasts where I'd have to sit in the runs with these dogs and talk about them. And I mean that uh, talking about 
fears that is absolutely terrifying. They have millions of followers and I'm live with animals where everyone knows they don't ever do what you want them to do. Um, so that was just another thing that I felt, okay, I'm, I'm conquering this fear constantly. And I was so terrified every time I had to do it. But I really, really loved working there. And um, the only reason I left was because I got a new opportunity that I felt would then test me further. Um, so if you'd like me to go into that. Yeah, how I let's, let's go into it. Uh, before we jump into that, and that's jumping into the, the whole tattoo industry yes. and coming over to, now you're coming to this side of the island. Um, for anyone listening out there, I think this could be a, 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 an important part of the story because people do come to Soy Dog, but they're going to be living up in my cow, mm -hmm. which is completely different than anywhere else on the island. I mean, that's, that's fair to say. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not Patong, it's not Camel, it's not Rawa. You're, you're very uh, secluded, and therefore, uh, I'm going to assume that community that you live with up there at Soy Dog just becomes your family because there's nowhere else to go. Yeah. So um, let's talk about that a little bit. Now you're waking up in the morning, you're not in the UK, you have furniture, you're living this island life. Um, can you specifically recall a day where you've woke up and everything clicked and you kind of had that smile on your face like, fuck, I made it? Every day. Mm. Honestly, because it's, I didn't want to forget. I didn't want to take for granted because it's so easy to. So even now I wake up and think, I can't believe I'm here and it's, it's been four years. But when I was, it was hard to adjust at first because like you say, my cow, it's quite rural. It's very locals and you don't have, there's, there's no big like bars or like restaurants. And you need the motorbike stuff. there. So how quickly did you jump on that? And That was what pushed me to do it. But yeah. even at first I was relying on lifts from other people and I could walk. I was walking distance to, um, to Soy Dog. So I managed to avoid <laughs> using that for a long time. Um, then you're just stuck. But yeah, very secluded. But then I lived... Even our own little block was just everyone from Soy Dog. Every, everyone, there's um, 250 employees. Okay. So it's a big place and my cow was basically overrun by Soy Dog employees. So we'd all just hang out and What's yeah. the community like up there? I mean, I'm assuming you guys are doing a lot of dinners together. I mean, yeah. even if uh, people are extroverts or introverts, I mean, it's, it is that community, um, which it's kind of its own thing again compared to the rest of the island. Can you talk a little bit about the soy dog community? And I'm sure it has its own politics as well. Um, it does. Generally, we all we all got along well. With animal rescue, things can get a little bit bitchy because people are just so passionate about it and it being the way that they believe it should be. But generally, there wasn't too many issues. And um, yeah, we all we all got on fine. One thing I found is... There's a lot of difference with, um, there'd be a lot of the, the girls and guys there were vegan and I wasn't. So that could be a bit awkward. I felt sometimes like if we were out for dinner, sometimes I'd be the only meat eater. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, is everyone judging me? Um, but no, do you know what? They were all so cool about it. And they'd say, it's your decision. You, you do what you want to do. Um, and it definitely was like having a little family. It was very strange to come into this new country, but then have like a ready-made family. The moment I started even volunteering there, you felt like that. They would genuinely care about, I mean, they've left now, but Chris and Rachel, they were the volunteer team managers at the time. They were like parents away from home. They, I absolutely adored them and they would help you with anything and um, tell you, oh yeah, you know, 
go go to this shop for that and if you need this you know where to get your car fixed or something like that they were just brilliant and um yeah i loved every minute of being there yeah it's it's an interesting area i i, I like to kind of uh if it's a sunday and i'm a uh, looking to kind of just do nothing kind of just motorbike up to that area cut across the island all those back roads it's 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 mm. a completely different part of the island that everyone no one uh, rarely sees as well but it's gorgeous up there so now you you're working there for about a year or so uh, about a year and a half actually. about a year and a half and how did you make that transition to uh, bloodline so as I was in control of the Instagram at the time, I would be answering all the messages, doing all the posts, rep responding to all the comments. Um, we got a message from Bloodline saying, hey, we'd like to come and donate some food um, and do a bit to help, you know, maybe donate some money as well uh, because we really love dogs. So I said to them, great, I'll give you guys the VIP tour and arranged a date for them to come in. And they turned up with this huge truck of dog food um, and they had like their own videographer and stuff and like making videos about it. It was really cool to have them um, at, at the shelter. And we were also trying to create some way of us working together. But um, eventually I think that was very difficult to, because of the distance, trying to work out, like they wanted to do like a taxi almost of people so their customers could come to Soy Dog for the day. But it never happened in the end. But we spent the afternoon chatting about that. And um, it was very weird because... The, the owner, Steve-O, said to me, um, I'm looking for a female to work because it's all males, all the artists, all the all the staff. We'd really like that female energy. Um, would you be interested in a job? And he, he kind of put me on the spot and I was thinking, no, I don't think so. I'm pretty comfortable here and I like what I'm doing. So I just said to him, um, no, but I'll message you if I change my mind. And then a couple of things had happened um, at the shelter, which was making me feel like maybe I do need to push myself again because I'm getting again in the same sort of doing the same thing, feeling very comfortable, not pushing myself. Um, and I didn't come to Thailand just to settle. That's the last thing I wanted to do. So I thought about it and I had a visa run um, probably two or three weeks after Bloodline had come to the shelter. And I, I got on this plane and steve was on that plane and I see him and he says hey I remember you you're from soy dog have you thought about that job offer yet and it just felt too much like a coincidence like I can't believe this guy's on the same flight as me so he said when we land let's grab a coffee so we did and I said okay what exactly is it that you're going to offer me he said I just want someone who's gonna you know chat to people and learn about tattoos and, and you look the part you've got tattoos and dark hair and we just think you'd really suit being with us um, so I went home that night and I, I really thought about it. Um, and I thought, does it terrify me? Yes. Is it totally different to what you're doing? Yes. That's why you should do it. Cause you came to Thailand for those sort of experiences. So, um, I handed my notice in at Soy Dog and apologized profusely for leaving, but they, they understood and tattooing and tattoos have been something that I was interested in ever since I was young. Um, I applied to be a, tattoo apprentice in the UK but you get paid like next to nothing and you have to kind of work and clean up for a year before you even get a chance and it just wasn't something I could do at the time on such little money so I, I forgot that idea but the thought of being able to be involved in that industry uh, in Thailand as well I thought I'm just going to go for it so yeah I accepted the job. And that, that is it's day and night I mean the difference between leaving a Maikau and Patong. Um 
obviously you're aware of what Patong is before you move there. Was there any fear there of like, okay, I'm kind, you're leaving the countryside and moving into the city, if you want to call it. Um, how was that transition? Did it go over well? It was honestly crazy. Like, <laughs> I had now got this idea that Thailand was this very peaceful place, you know, surrounded by animal lovers, and that this is what Thailand had become for me for that year and a half. And I had been to Batong maybe twice, like that's it, before I moved there for this job. I wasn't a big drinker at the time, not really, that doesn't really interest me. So I was absolutely terrified and I moved there and saw a very different side of Thailand, definitely. Um, it was just night and day, like you say, from everything, even the people that I was working with, because at Soy Dog we were very... Um, we, we tried to be very respectful to each other and very professional. And then working in a in an Aussie tattoo studio, it's all swearing and, it's and a boy, banter. It's more of a boys' club. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Is you know nakedness and it, it's just totally different. And I did feel thrown in at the deep end and pretty overwhelmed with the change, but I welcomed it and it was like, okay, this is what it is, and um, I'm going to learn as much as I can here and, and do what I can, and I hope that I enjoy it. I really had no idea if I'd enjoy it because I'd never done anything like that before. And, uh, yeah, we, I, I got involved and I had great fun and I learned, I learned so much about the... What, what was more difficult, maybe the job itself and jumping into this boys' club or, you know, the actual environment and the living situation? Because, again, Patong, Maikau, completely different. Or was it kind of all, all at once, kind of uh, very over, overwhelming? Uh, Patong is, like, quite a lot of gridlock traffic um pumping music all through the night uh depending on where you live i i lived on something that is known as death hill i don't know if you know where that is no it's uh the the giant hill that kind of leads on the way into patong if you're going yep, um from, from the airport basically and it's very windy um and i was new to the bike because i'd learned maybe a month before i left for the new job so it was like it was just total chaos, even just getting out of my road. I'm going onto this huge, busy road that has a lot of accidents on it. Um, and yeah, Patong itself, it's very centered towards alcohol, partying, um, backpackers, that sort of vibe. So I wouldn't say that the place is for me, really, but I understand why people like it, especially if you're just there on holiday. But to live... It can be a bit much. Did you fall in, was there any point where you fell into the Patong lifestyle or did you kind of avoid it completely? Of course, I <laughs> fell into it, yeah. Um, and that's why I've never lived there. <laughs> I'm like, there's no fucking way I'm living there. Honestly, place. it's that easy as well. Well, I'm not even because every, like, especially if you were to get on it, like, easily that could turn into a 20-day bender. <laughs> there's no question. And, sp and this is pre-COVID current yeah. situation. Yeah, it, it, it's, every day is a Saturday. Right. Yep. So, um, yeah, I, I've, when I first moved here, I've had a, I've a couple weeks where it's like two weeks into it. You're still like I, I would live up here and go to Patong back and forth. But that's why I'm like, there's not a chance I'm moving there. So a, as you, you, you moved in there and you kind of got sucked into, uh, uh, you know, the devil's lair. Um, <laughs> when you were and I, I think this part more is for like people who, ha who have been there or are moving there. What sucked did you in, sucked you in and how did you get out of it? So, you know, that joke on the hangover is like Bangkok has him now. It really yeah. is like that with Patong. And I've seen people come and, and it just ruins them. And, th and then they have to leave. So my advice would be don't let it get to that point. Um, 
for me, it was more because I didn't know anyone apart from the guys I worked with and they're party guys. And they were at the time anyway. Um, so it was like, do I sit at home on my own or do I go out and drink with these guys? The only people that I know. So I chose to go out and drink with them. And then it would be like, well, there is nothing else to do. To the, the problem is if you're, say, in my cow where Soy Dog is, you go out for dinner, you have that social aspect. Everyone I would meet in Patong was either on holiday or it's, it's very transient. And the people on holiday, they don't want to go out for dinner. They just want to go and drink. So I didn't really have a choice. It was socialize and drink or be on my own. And I tried to choose socializing and drinking. Um, but it's very easy to, yeah, get sucked into that because every night is a Saturday night. Uh, the clubs stay open all night. Obviously, this was before. Yeah. Um, and you go out for a couple of drinks. I would go out with some of the customers. They'd say, oh, come on, Steph, just come for one or two. And you go to a couple of those mushroom bars and because the, the people you're with are on holiday, they're ringing the bell and everyone gets free shots. And um, before you know it, it's, you know, 3 a.m. And you're like, how am I still out? I've got work tomorrow. And then you end up at work feeling awful and you think, oh, do you know what? I'm going to go out for a drink tonight because work was stressful because I was hungover. And it's just that cycle and it can yeah. really get out of hand. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle. I mean, and especially in Patong, uh, the alcohol is not good. It's like, uh, you know, that Thai, who knows? It's it's basically like gasoline. Yeah, there's and one called White Spirit. It doesn't uh, even say vodka. Just It's just yeah, a white spirit. Yeah, this <laughs> stuff is, it's, the next day, it's, you're just buzzing the whole day. Like, you're you're like, am I still drunk? Am I hungover? It's it's a, it's a bloody nightmare. And that that's the problem. Um, maybe with Thailand in general is, there's no one to tell you to go home at any point. You really, you literally have to drag your ass home and, kind of i wish there's sometimes i've had a few nights with hans he knows but uh yeah it's it's it, that that that's the patong life so i haven't been back uh, i think i've been once maybe since the the situation but um yeah it can be quite devastating and, and it's easily it just the next day is a complete write-off and even the day after as well um and then working up bl bloodline i'm assuming did this kind of come to an end getting close up to the um, when everything shut down. Yes. So they had the Australian forest fires happen just before, um, am I allowed to say COVID? Uh, we, we say current situation. We don't really know. But okay. And it's more just who knows, father YouTube or. Okay. I'll say current situation. Yeah, sure. um, so there was a lot of forest fires in Australia, which meant um, people were canceling their tattoo appointments and it was getting quite quiet. Um, and it was coming into, I coming into low season but i remember i was the last in so it was sort of when things got quiet i was the first one that it's sort of like we don't quite need you at the moment i'm really sorry but when things start picking up then we'll bring you back on board and then covid hit yep so um that was pretty much just everything shut down at yeah, this point yeah uh, tattoo studios had to close by law and so did everything yeah like you say um and then the whole of Paton closed down so i Basically, everybody I knew left. Um, even the owner of Bloodline went went back to Australia. Um, I was honestly alone in the middle of Patong, it felt like. And it was, I don't know if you saw it, it was like a ghost town. It was like something in a movie. Yeah, I went uh, like once, I think just to like, uh, maybe doing a, going to immigration or whatever. But yeah, it looked like a ghost town. It was insane. I would walk around in the mornings and there's just, I wouldn't see a single person on an hour walk in Patong. And such a contrast from the crazy place that it's known as it's like, you know, the Thailand Sin City, that's how I think of Patong. 
Um, so I had luckily, because I had, I saved up all this money to come to Thailand. Then I got a job almost immediately. I had those savings. So luckily they got me through a lot of um, the current situation. And um, then I, I got this call one day from um, a guy called James who offered me a job at his tattoo studio, which was called Empire Inc. And he said, I would like you to, to manage it for me. So it was a step up, which was great. Um, so you know, And this is in Patong as well? In Patong okay. as well, yeah. It's a smaller shop off one of the side roads. It wasn't like on Bangla Road. And um, so one of the things I owed to the Bloodline Boys was for teaching me those skills that then kind of got me onto the job at Empire Inc., meaning I could then be a general manager rather than just, you know, one of the managers. Um, the tattoo studios here, we're all kind of called managers, anyone who's not a tattooist, but you have like a hierarchy. So I was kind of at the bottom. Uh, but Empire Inc., he wanted me to run the place, which was great because it was quiet because of the situation. So it gave me a chance to understand um, more of like the accounting side of it and the stock take and um, what it takes to run a tattoo studio and what equipment you need. And I learned far more about, um, because I got, became good friends with one of the artists and he would teach me, this is the stuff you need. This is, you know, the, the hygiene. And it was really, really good. And I learned a lot from there. Um, and then unfortunately he basically stayed open as long as he physically could and he said listen I'm gonna have to close the place because we've just not there's no tourists here so people are not and the people that are in Thailand are not spending money on tattoos they're trying to save desperately so um we're just gonna have to close it um and again I was in a position where oh my gosh what am I gonna do and right when it would be every time am I gonna have to think about going home that was when something turned up every time and I don't know if it's luck or just you know, being at the right place, I don't know. Um, but that is where I met my current employer. I was going to give it maybe a couple of months. And if there was nothing I could do to find work, I was going to seriously think about at least going home until all this was over. What, what month are we around at this point? So this would have been, do you remember where there was like the second lockdown? So it would have been around a year ago. Okay. Yep. Um, and talking yeah may 2021 yeah. april 2021 okay yeah, sorry i'm not so good with dates i haven't actually mentioned really dates yeah, yeah, no, it's okay <laughs> it's a, who knows future generations watch this they're gonna want these timestamps. yeah that's no. true that's true um <laughs> yeah so um it was we they just started to lift the the second lockdown so it, we were allowed to go out and to restaurants and things um and i had a friend of mine who used to work for a tattoo studio in Patong and he was back in Phuket and he said, I've got something amazing for you. Um, I know this girl, she's going to be opening a studio in Phuket and in Patong and it's going to be absolutely amazing. I think you should be involved. And I was like, yes, yes, please. I want to know more. And he said, listen, it's my birthday party tonight. They're going to be there. Come and have some food and meet them and, and see what happens. So, at this point, I was actually quite scared of, of COVID, <laughs> along with scared of everything else. Um, but I thought, no, I've got to go. I have to go. So I went to this meal and um, I met Jazz, who is the owner of Ink Inc. Yep. And um, she was this like larger than life character. She actually, she's Thai, but she spent a lot of her time in the UK, in London. So she's got like this wonderful London and Thai accent, which is really interesting. Um, 
And she was saying to me, I've got this idea for the coolest tattoo studio, tattoo studio you've ever seen. It's not going to look like anything you imagine. It's going to be like VIP, luxurious, like very, um, very bright and very clean. Because when I think of a tattoo studio, I think of kind of dark and dingy and that that's the style, right? Mm. She said, I want to make a tattoo studio that doesn't look like a tattoo studio. I said, great. And what do you need me for? She said, I want you to run it. I said, okay, cool. Do you want to know anything about me? She said, no, I've heard, I've heard from other people and I'm talking to you now and I think you're going to be great. So she said, let's, let's raise a glass. You've got a job. I was like, wow, I was just not expecting it to be that quick. Um, and this was about a year ago. So it's been a year in the making. Um, a lot of planning has gone into it. And we opened on March the 20th this year. And um, it's, it's absolutely stunning. It's like what, what can people uh, um, expect if they, when, they, when they walk through the doors? And I, I've watched a few of the videos. And that's why I, I, I'm like, oh, you should connect to Robert and Bella Riddell up at um, Arabella's up here. Because it's pretty much like the same type of theme. That's what they yeah. were going for. So it's not that, um, I don't want to say grungy tattoo style, but it's more like clean and really focusing almost even on the hy hygienic side. Mm -hmm. um, what can people expect coming through the doors um, at Ink Ink? So they're going to open those doors and be hit with the beautiful smell of Dettol because the place is absolutely spotless. You could eat your food off the floor. Um, and the bright lights, the minimalist um, decor, that's what I love about it. It's not in your face. Like um, a lot of, especially back home, a lot of studios will have a lot of artwork on the walls and of course you know they're tattoos it's it's art but ink ink has gone for more of a we focus on your tattoo your surroundings we just make sure they're clean and they're comfortable and that you feel relaxed and happy um other than that you know there's not there's not a lot of decor there's not a lot of um trying to think of the words like we haven't got yeah it's, it's not overwhelming it's not overwhelming yeah. that's it. it you just sit there and you feel chilled because getting a tattoo is a bit of an experience you, mm -hmm. you know you're going to get some pain especially if it's your first one most people are nervous we wanted to make it like um yeah a very relaxed place to just sit feel zen and you're like okay great i can do this and also it's when you walk in there we make sure we just treat you like you're the best thing in the world because everybody has a story that brings them into a tattoo studio. You get the people that are just like, oh, I just want one. But we try and learn from the person. So it's, I want to know about you and your life and then show me your ideas, show me some photos. I want to get an idea of who you are and then maybe we can give you some advice on your design and add some bits to make it absolutely perfect for you. Um, and everyone gets free drinks when they come in. They just chill, hang out, chat to us. Are you starting to get tourists walk through the doors now just like uh, um, instead of having or do they need to make an appointment? So we always advise to make an appointment just to make sure that you're definitely going to get that slot. But no, we, we accept walk-ins. Um, we get a lot of people come in that want, you know, small memoirs of Thailand, like a little elephant here and there and stuff like that. Uh, if you're wanting a big piece, you might struggle to just walk in. But we it depends. If you're here for a little while, we should be able to get you. Are you still are you starting to get the drunk tourists walking in or do you allow them to walk in or is there any like rules against that? Because most of those, let's say Bangla, Bangla Road tattoo parlors or if you go over to Kopi uh, P, most of the tattoos, people are just, you know, they've had a few too many drinks and they just walk in. 
I think we managed to avoid that. I th- I'm not sure whether it's because where we are, we're O-Top Market, just opposite Hard Rock Cafe. Um, we okay, don't so that's on the... What, what road? What is, what is the name of the road? That's just the... It's not the it's beach road. Rat, rat Utit. Yeah, so this is the one going... You're going to pass Bangla, pass Taipan, all that, and getting... It's right, like, pretty much before, like, the Hard Rock Cafe, and then you would turn right, correct? That would bring you back Left. to the beach. So, so you turn got, left. Yeah, you've got uh, Hard Rock Cafes on your right. Yeah. And then you've got Coffee Club on your left. Got it. You just go past Coffee Club. So you turn left and we're right there. Yeah, so you're far uh, you're far enough away from the strip that you're yes. not getting people walking in. I'm sure that was strategically planned as well. Absolutely. <laughs> you, I mean, there's a lot of like little mushroom bars at the end of there. So yeah. we do get a few. But no, we, we generally tend to have walking traffic in the daytime, which is great because it's people going to the market and things. Um but we don't we don't get too many drunk people. And if we do, we just we try and have a laugh with them and say, you know, maybe think about it and come back tomorrow. Because the idea of inking as well is we're very professional. We're not just gonna slap some tattoo on you because you're drunk and it'll be great for the social media. No, it, you know, they're a serious thing. Have a little think. If you still want it when you're sober, then come talk to us. And the artists there are are they Thai or are they yes. Farang and Thai? Um, they I believe have to be Thai to okay. tattoo in Thailand. And um. Are you doing the bamboo tattoos as well? Yep, we do. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that would be a we'll, – we'll clip that. And No, anyways, it's not for Hans. It's for my other guy. But um, can you talk a little bit about the differences – the difference between like – like, uh, well, I guess traditional tattoos would be the bamboo tattoos uh, compared to the tattoos we would get back home? So uh, there's the Sakyan tattoos, which are like traditional Thai. Um, they, they've been around for about 2,000 years. And originally it was, they were done by the men in Thailand, believed to be um, bringing like things like courage and, um, and good luck and good health and protection. That was what was believed to happen when you got these tattoos. Um, and, and the word sack means to tap, so like the bamboo. And then yant is short for yantra, which is to do with um, meditation and a geometrical design. So what I find really interesting is uh, it was the men that used to get these in Thailand because they believed the women didn't need them. We, we already had an, these powers on our own, which I love. Um, but yeah, so they were meant to be done in um, a Buddhist temple by a Buddhist and he would, be, he would choose a Sakyant tattoo for you on what he thought you needed. So if it was something like courage, you'd tell him a little bit about your life and he'd say, right, I think you need these blessings um, and it would be done in, in the temple with a, a bamboo needle. Now, these days, you can actually get those done in studios like Ink Ink because more of hygiene reasons. So in, in the temples, they will just kind of give the end of the needle a little white with some rubbing alcohol and onto the next person. Um, this is how it w- it's always been done. So I understand why people would still want to do it like that. And it has all the spiritual beliefs behind it. But if you would prefer to do it somewhere where you know that the needle is um, disposable, so it's a fresh one for every person, that's why we get a lot of people come to us. And um, you can actually have it done with a machine as well. It doesn't have to be bamboo, but with bamboo, it's it's um, actually slightly more painful and it takes longer, but it's got more of that history behind it, which is why a lot of people would like it done like that. Or you can get it done with the machine. Um, are you now? Is this referring to like the the typical script uh, scripture tattoos that you're going to see on the yes. back? Yeah. Now, most of those tattoos, uh, Muay Thai fighters are getting it, but 
are are you able to give those scripture tattoos to anyone walking through the door? Because my understanding is you need to earn them. No, it's more, we can, we can. It depends on the artist as well. So it depends on their spiritual beliefs. But when it comes to the to the sakyants, the, which are, yes, they're like a mixture of lettering and like geometrical patterns that can be mixed together. Um, no, anyone can get them because it's just bringing them um, these, uh, you know, like the things that they're missing in their life that they need that will help them. Uh, it's more when you get to things like getting Buddhas tattooed on you, that's where you might have an issue depending on who you're asking to do it. So we get a lot of requests for getting a Buddha on the leg or something and, and they won't do it. Because it's lower than... Yes, yeah. Okay. So. And that was actually going to be my next question is uh, as you um, exit and enter Thailand, we always see those massive signs at the airport yeah. that say they, they don't even want you taking sta uh, Buddha, uh, Buddha statues home or Buddha tattoos. Um, why is that? It's um, more because it's meant to be reserved for for the spiritual meaning behind Buddhism. And I guess if you are just a tourist coming here, taking that to make art on your body because you like it, you like the way it looks, it's seen as offensive. Um, it's, again, it depends on, on the person. So our artists at Ink Ink will tattoo a Buddha, but they won't do it below the belt because um, obviously the top of you is seen as the most, um, you know the word I'm thinking of. Holy or... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and your feet are the worst. Yeah, so that's you don't why want you, it you can't have a Buddha statue on the ground. or That's why we have to put them up here, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, and think, I think he's okay there. I don't know. I think that's borderline. For me, that would be probably waist hikes, I'm sure. Okay. So that's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and... and they won't, a lot of them will not just do a Buddha head as well. Again, depends on the artist. It depends on how much they, they believe in Buddhism. But some of them think it's you know disrespectful to just put a head or something. It's like you've beheaded a Buddha. So they would, would they talk to the client if they came in and they wanted, let's say, a, uh, a tattoo of Buddha on their back? May they, have a, they might have a conversation like, um, uh, what do you know about Buddhism? What type of questions might they ask before they, they make that decision if they want to do it or not? They would probably ask them um, their reasoning behind. So why do you want this Buddha? Um, and if the person said, well, it's because I think it looks nice, they'd say, well, I really would suggest, because the artist would love to just design something different. So they'd say, well, actually, I can maybe make you a personal design to do with what you've been doing in Thailand that doesn't have to have a Buddha on it if you don't have those spiritual beliefs. Um, and they might make a joke and say, you know, you don't want any bad luck or something like that. But... Most of the time, people will say, "No, no, I do really want it, and I am respectful of your culture, and it's it's part of your of your culture, and that's what I want to have on my body." And the artist, nine times out of ten, would do it. They just don't want to. They want to know that you understand. Um, yeah, why that, you that want you're not it. just doing it as a souvenir, if, you know. Exactly. For, uh, I don't know to be popular or whatever. Let's say you wouldn't believe how many requests we get for a Buddha on the legs. It's a lot. And and they, and uh, most of the people they don't understand and they don't uh, understand that that you should not be doing that and why you shouldn't be doing that as well. Um, I've been in Thailand about six years and you see a lot of tattoo trends come and go. Um, I would say maybe one of the more popular ones was on PP uh, PP Island where people would get the lipsticks tattooed on the neck. Mm -hmm. What trends have you seen come? What trends have you seen go? And which ones are you just like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> um, there's a lot of pocket watches, lions, um, lions with crowns, 
roses, but they're just, I think they're always going to be around. They look good. So that trend I don't think will ever go away. Um, a lot of like, uh, w there was a stage where everyone wanted smashed things. So it's like a smashed pocket watch with a line behind it. It's just a any way we can merge all those things together. Um, there's a big trend of getting um, like little fine line tattoos now, which I'm personally not a huge fan of. What do you mean by that fine line? So um, very intricate, very thin lines and, mm. and tiny little designs. It's like they're very feminine. So someone would want just imagine like a small flower, but a lot of detail with a very thin, thin needle. And they've become popular. There's a lot of um, artists on Instagram now and they've got like thousands and thousands of followers because they primarily do these tattoos and they're cool at the minute um and we can do them at inking we, we've got a fine line guy that's amazing at it but we do like to also warn people that the longevity of them is not great they're just gonna fade and bleed together yeah it's just tattoos over time yeah they fade um they they disappear they can disappear and when you've got something that fine I can't guarantee that that's still going to look great in three, four, five years. It'll probably look great for one or two, but because they've only just started to be quite popular now as well, we don't really know how they're going to look in 10 years. Um, there was a reason why the original tattoos, like the traditional and old school, they're thicker lines because those lines are going to stay. That's why they were always done like that. And now it's not so cool anymore. But, you know, as long as you exp we explain to the client, same with finger tattoos, they're, they're always going to disappear. Um, you might need them touched up, you know, a couple of times. And if you're not in Thailand, you're going to then have to pay somebody else to do it. So we just let people know that information and then the decision's up to them if they still want it. Is the rumor true that if you're getting a bamboo tattoo, you can immediately go swimming versus getting the needle? Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to ask me why. And I don't know. I, 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 I don't know why either, I, but I mean, I just know that a lot of the people, when they go to CoPP, they prefer to get the bamboo because they can go swimming after instead of, especially when you're visiting Phuket, you don't want to start your trip off. You get the tat, uh, a needle tattoo on the first day and you can't go in the water for the whole week. Yeah, absolutely. We always suggest to get it done right at the end of your holiday anyway. But um, yeah, I'd love to know why. I would assume maybe it's less trauma to the skin um, with the machine. It's okay. going to be way more... Um, you know, injections into the skin. But yeah, with, with a gun, uh, or we're not supposed to call it that anymore, but a machine, then you should um, wait about two weeks before you submerge in any water. So a bath, a pool, a sea. Um, but what would happen specifically? Would it just, it, it, would, it could ruin the tattoo? It would yeah. fade? The ink, the ink colors would change? or It would, uh, the, the water would go through the skin into the tattoo and it's more likely to sort of puff it up and some of the ink come out as it's, you want, when you, when you get a tattoo, you want it to be perfectly in between um, moist and dry. So you've got to kind of keep that balance. If it gets too wet, then the, the ink's going to come out. If it gets too dry, it's going to scab up too quick. And then when the scab comes off, it's going to pull the ink out as well. So it's all about trying to keep that ink in the skin, into the dermis, which is the middle layer, as long as you possibly can. And that's why you're using like Vaselines and different... Yeah. Is there Are people using coconut oils or anything like this? There's all different ones now. Uh, we, we suggest Bepanthin still. We're like old school. It's the nappy rash cream. Um, we've just always used it like... Um, 
the people that work in this in the studio and also the tattooists recommend that because it creates like a barrier where your skin can still breathe because it was meant for nappy rash right the skin can still breathe and it gets air in there to to um to heal it but it's also protecting it and it just seems to heal really well so we sell it at the studio but you can also get it from the pharmacies as well mm. yeah i might get a tattoo touched up touched up i got one on my back when i was like 14 I have to see it now you've said that. Yeah, I'll, I'll show you that after. But it's like, <laughs> it's supposed to be my last name. Everyone that sees it, they're like, it's not your last name. And I'm like, ah, it's a bit faded now. But um, I don't care because I can't see it. They're yeah, like, They're yeah. like, you should get it touched up. I'm like, honestly, I can't see it. It's been so long. It's, it's I want to do it for you, though. Oh, my God. I, I was so young. So I was 14, and obviously I was probably like 150 pounds. But it touched, when they did it at that time, it touched both shoulder blades and the spine i just remember it being like fuck that was painful and i'm like all right that's enough that's good just leave it <laughs> you know the back is a weird spot you you get the people that think that it is the worst pain they've ever had in their life and you get the people that are chilling and sleeping and there's no i in think between. it was like because it was right on the bone and, and whatnot i was uh, i've had a I, I didn't get one but i've convinced a few people in pp island there there used to be a guy in co-pp uh, he was a, a scuba diving instructor and his friends would visit him and his goal when his friends were visiting him, cause I've been there countless times in six years. And every time I would go there, he'd have some sort of friend visiting him. And his goal every time was to get his face tattooed on their ass. I love that. So like he would get them absolutely drunk and he'd look at me. He's like, this guy's getting it tonight. And one of them would, and every time, every morning you would see people just devastated and i'd be like show me your ass and it'd be his face on their fucking ass i need you've made me know i want that, that, that now i'm that out. was his goal every time people visited next time <laughs> i'm out for drinks i'm gonna say tonight i'm gonna get my face towed on someone's ass oh it was great i i had i convinced one friend to get a, a pig with a crown on his ass when we were out drinking i don't don't ask me why oh and with an apple in the mouth <laughs> i can't remember why but he's a uh, pete shout out he knows um he loves it though he said it's one of his favorites somehow i came up with this idea don't ask me how honestly i talk about the fact that um having meaning behind tattoos means a lot to me but you've also got those every single tattoo you get has like a story behind it you remember what you were doing at that time and i've got some stupid drunken tattoos of course i do i have a, a an ibis bird an australian which is known as a bin chicken yeah. smoking a cigarette because you know, when I when I worked at Bloodline, I met this Aussie guy who was just hilarious and said, hey, let's go and get tattoos. Let's go for drinks. And it's all part of the fun, I think. Um, and you look at that. I look at that and I just think that was a fun night. You know? Yeah. And, and you can't, you know, it's a it's a bit more hidden and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. my I had a, one friend. He, he's completely he's got his sleeves, his back completely tatted, tattooed, uh, tatted up. But what he was saying is because sometimes it's it could be a 12 hour session. He's done eight hour sessions yeah. and whatnot that he'll sit there with like a six pack and like a handful of Valium. Do people come in and do this when they're sitting through like a, like an eight hour session? So we don't condone the use of those sort of drugs in the studio, if somebody wants to take them and they take them outside of the studio prepared for their appointment, that's up to them. We've got no control over that. We wouldn't actively, you know, say, oh, hey, take some Valium. But of course, uh, especially seems to be the Aussies, they come and, and we let people drink in the studio. That's fine. Um, there's that uh, notion of, you know, oh, it's not good because it makes you bleed more. It does. Uh, it just makes it a little bit harder for the artist to see what he's doing. It, it doesn't mean that, the tattoo won't heal well or anything like that so but they kind of these artists they expect it like everyone wants to drink while they're getting tattooed because they're on holiday as well yeah. right 
But yeah, we get the people that they they definitely think that Valium is gonna is gonna save the day, and actually they just end up feeling high and in pain. That's what happens <laughs> most time. Yeah, and um, you know people sort of forgetting what's going on and um, not yeah, being able to put gonna, their shoes on. I guess you're not gonna pass out or. You're just going to sit there in pain and yeah, have to deal with it. Yeah, and you just feel a bit like tired and weird while in pain. It's not going to get rid of the pain. If Let's say if we were to take like uh, one of your sleeves, for example. Um, if somebody was looking to come in and, and, and get a sleeve, what type of appointment, how many hours is going to go into, and we could say specifically on your, your left arm, if they want to come in and, and have a, a sleeve done, should they be prepared to put in, what, 12 hours? So, therefore, they need to make the proper appointments and, and schedule their time in Phuket accordingly for that. So, we, we say sessions rather than hours because we charge per piece. So, in the UK, you would pay per hour. Um, but with us, it's quite easy. We can just say to you, hey, let me have a look at the size of your arm. Because, obviously, you know, women and men will be slightly different as well. So, if they can send a photo or if they come in, I look at the arm and I say, right, okay, it's going to cost between this and this. And it's usually about 5,000 baht difference, um, depending on how much detail the final design has. Um, and I tell them the amount of sessions and those sessions can vary. We like to keep it quite open because someone could get in that chair and they, it's easy peasy for them and we can just keep going all day. Some people really struggle and they need a, they need a lot of breaks. So I don't generally say how many hours because it then makes, you know, they might make an appointment after that and then they're going to miss it because they needed more breaks. So we just say dedicate the whole day. A full sleeve on average will take about four sessions. Um, and that's for like a, a, a male, probably a female, maybe three sessions. For like a, a sleeve like Yeah, like for this. this. So that would be like wrist, um, but all the way around. So I don't have all the way around. Yeah. Four sessions and how, how long? Um, up to about seven hours. Gee. So, yeah, it yeah. could be four, could be seven. So that, yeah, you got, and, and people won't do that all in one week. They might do it over, what, the course of a month? Actually, because most people are on holiday, they, they get it done back to back. Yeah, so they'll just come in a week straight or four days straight. Now, obviously, the advantage living in Thailand is it's much cheaper to live here. So I'm going to assume the cost of a, a full sleeve in Thailand compared to the UK or Australia is much cheaper. Are you able, able to share those costs and the differences and why people would wait to come here to get a full sleeve? So in terms of actual like specific pricing, we do need to know the style. So this is why we don't advertise our pricing necessarily yeah. all, over the in, um, all over the website. We just say, hey, listen, just send us a message. Give us a bit of information about what you want. Um, but in terms of pricing... Yes, ink ink especially is a lot cheaper than you would find in Australia, um, the US and Canada definitely. Um, even Europe, it's it's not quite the big difference, but it's still much cheaper than say the UK. Um, and at the moment as well, we offer uh, a week's free accommodation if you book the size of a half sleeve or more. So that's like a crazy deal because mm. you could actually get the tattoo done with us and you would be able to afford flights um, and the tattoo for the same price as if you were to say, get just the tattoo done in Australia. So we're now offering the hotel as well. So it's kind of a no brainer. You get a free holiday with your tattoo. And wh which hotel are you able to share that in? Yeah. So it's the Ashley Hub Hotel. It's directly opposite our studio. You can kind of go out for drinks the night before, roll out of bed, mm. roll into our studio. It's that close. Um, and you, it's you have someone that will physically bring the barrel. We will help <laughs> if that's what they need. Like I said, we do anything for our customers. <laughs> I'll come get you. Um, 
and then uh, it's it's like a four star hotel and it, it's huge inside as well. These rooms are really nice. We like send the photos before anyone books anything. Um, it's got like its own living room and stuff. So yeah, it's a good deal. Interesting. Yeah, I think those are more. I probably a lot of questions, especially people coming here that they're going to ask around the the boot at the bamboo and also. Mm. Um, uh, I think the swimming's part of it as well because I'm assuming a lot of people coming here. The fact that they can't swim, they start to contemplate: uh, Should I be getting this tattoo? So if somebody, say, wants to come and they, they want like, um, I don't know, we, we call them like a panel. So just like an outside panel or something, a one-day job. Then we just say, okay, great. What what day do you leave? Uh, okay, so you leave on Wednesday. Then just get it done on the Tuesday. And then you don't have to worry about it. You've got your whole holiday. Uh, just don't spend the money that you were needing for your tattoo appointment. That's all we ask. Um, and then they can come in, get it done, and then they fly home the next day anyway. So they don't really miss out on on the swimming. And the main thing is as well the sunbathing. Now, okay. sun is the number one killer of any tattoo, new or old. Um, if you're in the sun a lot, your tattoos are guaranteed to not look as good as if you were someone that avoids the sun. So a lot of people will not swim, but they're out baking in the Thai heat. And that, that will cause... It's so there's a lot of damage to your skin when you're getting tattooed, right? And it's desperately trying to heal. And if you're hitting it with with the sun, it's damaging it even further. And it makes me cringe when I see people with fresh tattoos and then they've yeah. got sunburn and I'm like, oh my god. And and the reverse. Don't come in with a sunburn. Oh yeah. Yeah, you can't <laughs> get tattooed over sunburn. And, yes. and, and if you're telling people to come at the end of their 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 trip and they've been in the UK That's all, a good point. all winter. <laughs> And, uh, you know, they, they might come in with a sunburn as well. If they're a little bit pink, it's yeah. okay. But um, we had a guy that he had, like, severe sunburn on his chest and he was getting a full chest. And the artist, you know, the guy was hellbent on, I want it done, I want it done. Like, I've come all this way, you know, I'm sorry about the sunburn. Just do it anyway. And he did a little bit and sort of showed, it's it's very strange, rather than a line, it, it almost like, um, we call it a blowout. It had blown out under the skin and he just said, I'm going to ruin your chest. You may as well just wait and then come back next year. So the guy had to wait and he's got this one line on his chest that looks awful and he's, you know, but <laughs> yeah. you, you've got to also think about it. Tattooing, it's, um, it's like a, a medical procedure, right? You're using needles to go into your skin. Mm -hmm. You need to make sure that you learn what you can and can't do before your appointment, which is don't come in sunburn. Don't come in very, very drunk or very high. And make sure you shower before you come in. That's all we ask. <laughs> I think that's the key. Make sure you shower before you come oh in. Oh, my God. Because you it's Thailand as yeah, well. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, you know, that poor artist has to be in yeah. your very close vicinity. Some guy's been on a three-day bender and he just rolls in looking for tattoos. Yeah, it's probably it not the... It happens. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, wh what's next for you? So you've you've went from, you know, Soy Dog to Bloodline to Empire and now to Ink, Ink. Um I've been in Thailand six years. I, I've, I'm done. I'm actually never going home. I've decided people can find me. I'm here. <laughs> what? What? what do, do you have any long-term goals for yourself? Do you plan to stay here forever, or what do you see yourself doing? So it wasn't until Ink Ink that I thought, do you know what? This is this is my life now, and mainly because it's not just one studio. They're opening a whole bunch. They they want this brand to take over the world. You know, a little bit like um, not to compare it to, but Starbucks. You see that, and you know the quality that you're getting. You know the taste. You know what it's going to be like, and they want that with Ink Ink. Of you see that sign, and you know, hey, I might be in Bali or I might be in Singapore, but I know that the tattoos are going to be clean and amazing there. So that's the idea. There's going to be one opening in Bangkok, Patea, and then it's going to be Bali, Singapore, Europe, 
it's going to go crazy. So the fact that I'm in it from the very start, I think I'm in a great position. I'm very, very lucky. I've had a say in a lot of it from how it was designed to how it's being ran. Um, so eventually I'm hoping to be sort of um, operations director sort of position, being able to go between all of them, training staff. Um, but I will always have my base here in Thailand, especially as, um, you know, with my partner Woody living here. Um, I want to, you know, settle down and, and this is my home now. I haven't actually visited I, I went home once in four years. Same, yeah. Yeah, and it was because um, Soy Dog needed me to take some dogs over. So I haven't actually left this country in three years. And I can't even imagine. I would love to go back just for a little bit, but I think give me one week in England now. Like where you know yeah, where's know. where's my street food my pack rapal I, I need where's my bum gun like yeah, I was <laughs> do you know I was gonna say that and I thought no don't mention the bum gun I need yeah that's my biggest fear like in maybe in my entire life right now do you I, know in I don't know I will have if I go home like I, I've already like I'll, I'll have to call my family and be like all right here's the instructions on how to <laughs> install this or I'm not even coming I've already looked on Lazada you can buy one and then you you can just get it installed I think anyone that's been in Thailand this long starts it's to been done. Shantae's parents, they did it. They went home and built it. They they bought one and they they put it in their house. Everyone that's visited me here went home and installed one in their house. They're like, how do we not have this? You know, I found, I visited Bangkok recently and they don't, in any of their like mall toilets, they don't seem to have a bum gun. Really? And it and even in the hotel I was in and it really I've, upset I've, me. I've seen a few, it, it's, it's that, the anxiety through the roof. If I go on a, t I'm like, no, I can't handle this. Like, <laughs> for those who don't know, like, <laughs> what's a bum gun? Don't worry, re re we'll we'll make a reel or a clip out of this. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, well, that's good. So you have you have a lot of room for growth, especially like, um, again, it's not this uh, nothing against Bloodline. That's their their brand, their image of what they were doing. Yeah. But now you have this room for growth, and as it expands worldwide, I mean, uh, and and obviously with your, your partner and Woody being here, and shout out to Bangtao Muay Thai and MMA. He's not going anywhere either, um, yeah. and, and that's great. I mean, I think uh, and Phuket is just going to grow, uh, continue to grow. I hope it doesn't turn into Bali, um, just because of the traffic. Yeah. I hope it just stays I put. I even told Woody, I'm like. Why did you come to the side of the island? Stay away. <laughs> no, it's going to explode over here. Yeah. Um, which which is a good thing because they they need that for the economy and and um, I'm excited to see that as well. But I also don't see myself leaving. Um, with that being said, I need to take a bathroom break. But I think we're at an hour and a half, anyways. You ripped the thing in half. Is that the indicator? <laughs> Thank, thanks. Um, thanks, Hans. That's, that's my third note. There we He's go. saying, "Please stop talking, Steph." Yeah. Like, no, he does that. He puts long. three, so then I know it's about an hour and a half. We did one with Mike's uh, Swick la on the last one, and we only had two, so I'm like, "Oh, we're at about an hour." And then I'm like, "I think it's getting close to two now." <laughs> Anyways, That's gone um, so quick. with that being said, we're going to shoot this back over to you. This is your camera. Um, Wait, it's one? not like this show. I don't know if you've seen one. hot ones. Okay. This camera, that camera. No. Um, if you just want to to um, plug where people can find Ink Ink and yourself and let them know about the Instagram or the website and, and any information, just let them know right there. Okay. Uh, so please follow us. We've got Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Um, the name is Ink Ink, spell I N K dot I N C. Uh, my name's Steph, the general manager. Please drop us a message or anything if you want to chat about tattoos. You want to get booked in. Um, it's a really really good place. And once you see what it looks like inside and the level of work, you won't want to go anywhere else. 
Perfect. Okay. Uh, well, thanks, Steph, for joining us Thank today. Thank you for inviting me. It was great. See, that, see how quick that went? An hour and a half. Done. Yeah, I was so scared for nothing. Yeah, no. <laughs> you never need to be scared here. It's, it, it flies by. Um, with that being said, we're out again. Like, subscribe, hit the bell. Come follow us on Instagram. We'll do some clips and we're done.